Yeah, it's, it's great to see the body of Christ working together, right? Um, and we're thankful for you to be able to take those backboards and to be able to use them to, uh, to minister to the children. And I was going to say, I, I hope Pastor Mike and Jess and the kids look refreshed and energized, and, but they are, right? We can see them, and they look refreshed and energized, so we're thankful you guys are here. I know many of you were not here last week for the first part of our little two-part series, so I'm going to give us a little recap. Last week we read the beginning of Acts chapter 9 about the conversion of Saul. And we saw that Saul, a Pharisee, went to the Sadducean high priest to gain legal authority to take the 175-mile journey to Damascus in order to be able to arrest followers of the way or followers of Jesus Christ. And we saw that as he was about to enter into Damascus, he had this life-changing experience. He had a personal encounter with the risen Jesus Christ. And we saw that Saul went from a prideful, powerful man into a man who was broken and helpless. He needed to be helped into Damascus by the men who were traveling with him. He didn't eat or drink anything for three days. We saw that personal encounters with Jesus, even to this day, are life-changing. We saw that like Saul, all of us need to surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And finally, we saw that the conversion of Saul teaching us that suffering is a part of being a disciple of Jesus. That there are times that we need to lay down our own hopes and our own dreams. We need to be even willing to lay down our physical bodies in order to be able to follow Jesus. And while this may be a challenge, we saw that the suffering that we experience for this temporary time is nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. But as we continue our look into the conversion of Saul this week, we will see now the impact that others can have. What is the impact of the body of Christ? And today we will see how two followers of Jesus play a very important role in Saul's early life as a Christian. And these two men are Ananias and Barnabas. And let me be clear right up front that it is Jesus who changed the heart of Saul. It is Jesus who put Saul on a new path. It is Jesus who turns Saul's life around. But Jesus uses Ananias and Barnabas to be an encouragement and to show love to Saul in a time where he desperately needed it. So if you have your Bible, I would encourage you to open to Acts chapter 9. I'd like to reread the passages that we read last week. We're going to go all the way to verse 19. It's going to take us a minute or two to read through this portion. And then we'll look at the rest of the passage as we go through it. But I would ask if you would stand with me, please, if we, as we have respect for the Holy Word of God. Starting in verse 9 of Acts, 1, or Acts chapter 9, it says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what, told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. 
the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to straight, the street called Straight at the house of Judas. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias. Come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many about this man, how much evil he has done at your saints in Jerusalem. And, he, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, sent me, so that you may, may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we thank you so much for the power of your word, the power that it has to pierce even the hardest hearts, and Lord, there is a message that you have for each of us that is here today. There's a message that you want to share with us, something that you want us to learn, a way that you want us to become more like your son, Jesus. So Lord, I ask that you would speak to us, that you would challenge us, that you would help us to see the ways that we have acted like Saul and the ways that we have fallen short in our mission to become more like you. So Lord, we ask again that all that we do this morning will glorify you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Please be seated. So in verse 10, we get an introduction to a disciple named Ananias. And he's told to go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. And I appreciate this little detail, Straight Street, because this is an actual street. If you go to Google and you type in Acts 9, Straight Street, you can look back and you can see pictures of what this road looked like years ago and even what it looks like to this very day. But can any of us blame Ananias for his initial response, for being told to go meet up with Saul? I mean, clearly word had traveled to Damascus regarding Saul's reputation, and Ananias had every right to be a little worried about this. And as I was looking about this passage, I was thinking about the times that I was signing up for classes in college. And there were some classes that everybody had to take. Psych 101, I don't care what major you had, that was the class that you were taking. Bio 101, for many of us, we took these classes. And I can remember sometimes that there were multiple teachers who taught the same courses. And you could choose the teacher that you wanted to take. And I had some friends who would look over my shoulder and they'd say, Oh, you want to take this class with this teacher. They're an easier grader. Uh, one time I got let out 10 minutes early. You should take that teacher. Uh, or that teacher doesn't require as much reading as the rest. Never was there a time where somebody said, hey, you know what? That teacher is really going to push you to the limit and challenge you. And you're going to learn a lot. You should take them. It was always take the easy way out. But I found that none of these reputations were true. The grading was the same. We were in class for full time. And the reading was just as much as everybody else. But this is clearly not the case with Saul. Saul's reputation is real, and there's evidence to back it up. Ananias knows what Saul has done in Jerusalem. And he knows what his intent is as he's coming to Damascus. But Ananias does not receive the call from the Lord and run away like Jonah. 
He doesn't sleep on it for a few days. He doesn't say, you know what, I'm going to pray about this a little bit before I go and I take this step to go to Judas's house. He gets the call from the Lord and he obeys. And not only does Ananias obey and go meet with Saul, but do you see the greeting in verse 17? The way that Ananias greets Saul is he says, Brother Saul, as he lays his hands on him. He puts his hands on the man who in verse 1 says was breathing out murderous threats against the disciples of the Lord and calls him brother. Ananias immediately saw Saul as a brother in Christ and treated him as one, doing exactly what he had been called to do. How quickly are we to be obedient to the call of the Lord? Are there times when we are called to act like Ananias, yet we hesitate and we stay in a state of inaction, many times even questioning the Lord? And some may come back at me and say, you know what, Kevin, if, if God spoke to me directly the way that he spoke to Ananias on that day, I would definitely take action. There would be no hesitation on my part. But I want to tell you this morning that if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to make you aware that God has already called you to action through the power of his word. And can I share a few examples with you? In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, we are commanded to love one another and to follow Jesus. In Matthew 16, 24, we are called to lay down our own desires, to take up our cross and to follow Jesus. In James chapter 1, verse 27, it says, We are looked to care for those who are poor, care for the needy. God has called you to that. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 through 8, it tells us not to fall into the sinful behaviors of others who do not follow God. And then in Mark 12, 29 through 31, we are to love the God with all of our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves. Maybe you need something that comes from a little more practical route. I can help you with that as well. Several years ago when I was here, you had a table set out to collect items for women at the Hoving Home, which is a place that's nearby. Maybe this is a ministry that God is calling you. Maybe on a Saturday you take your family and you go minister to some of the women who are dealing in the throes of drug addiction and, and, and domestic abuse and abuse of a variety of kinds. Maybe you sign up to be a Christian family at the Hoving Home and welcome these women into your home to minister to them on a personal level. There are people in your church, I guarantee, who are occasionally in need of a meal or an encouragement. Is God calling you to be obedient to that? Can you step in and fill that need? Or how about this? At the end of 2021, there were 16,000 children in the state of New York who needed foster care. And about 600 in need of adoption. Perhaps God is calling you to be a part of filling this need. And I could go on and on with this list, but the point I think is very clear. Ananias received the call to do something challenging, and he obeyed. He didn't hesitate God has called us through his word to be obedient to him in a variety of ways. Are we hesitating? Are we too focused on other things to take action? We see that Saul is healed by God through the obedience of Ananias. And we turn our attention back again to Acts chapter 9. We're going to skip down 
to verse 26. We'll come back and read the ones that we skipped. But I'd like to go down to verse 26. It says, And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Now, a quick reading of Acts chapter 9 makes it seem like Saul was healed and then immediately went back to Jerusalem and started preaching there. But if we look at some of Paul's other writings, Galatians chapter 1, um, it says that there was actually a three-year gap. Three-year gap from the time of this experience in Damascus before Paul went back to Jerusalem. But again, we see the reputation that Saul had in Jerusalem. This is three years later that people were concerned about meeting with Saul and did not want to have that experience of getting close to him. But if Saul was setting him up as a spy at this time, this was the perfect opportunity, wasn't it? This was the perfect opportunity to gain access to the inner circle of the church. But we see that Barnabas steps in at this time. And Barnabas takes a risk, just like Ananias did. This is a risk that we are called to take on a regular basis. But listen, we live in a culture that loves risk. We glorify risk. We see people who take a financial risk and then they hit it big because they, they chose to do something that it could have gone either way. I read a story this morning about another young person who put themselves at risk to take a picture at the top of a mountain and fell off of it and is now hospitalized. It seems to be a recurring theme. But we love to read about risk and take risks. But Barnabas takes a different kind of risk. This is the risk that Christians are called to take on a regular basis. The risk of loving others when we do not know what is going to happen on the other side. The risk of accepting and encouraging others and pushing them forward in the name of Jesus without knowing what's going to happen in that relationship. And that's what Barnabas did for Saul. Verse 27 tells us that Barnabas told Saul's story to the apostles. And this is a simple fact that we gloss over, but it is so important. Because in order for Barnabas to have been able to tell Saul's story, he needed to listen to Saul's story in the first place. How quickly are we to listen to the stories of others? Or are we so focused on telling our own? And the encouragement that Barnabas provides in this passage reminds us that a huge part of loving and encouraging others involves listening to them. Being quiet and listening wholeheartedly. Not with the phone in your hand, in your face, but listening with all of your body. Are you a person that's known for being a good listener? And the next time that you seek to be an encouragement to someone else, another follower of Jesus, I'm going to encourage you to listen first and speak second. As an athletic trainer with the Boston Red Sox, now 23 years ago, my hair tells the story that it was 23 years ago. And I know that when I say Boston Red Sox, Yankee fans' heart rate just jumped like 20 beats. I get that. I'm sorry. But one of the most challenging things that I was able to experience in that time was to see professional athletes 
deal with long-term injuries. That was my responsibility. I worked with players from all the different levels of the minor league system and the major league system. When someone got hurt and couldn't travel with the team, it wasn't cost-effective to have them travel and do rehab on the road. They would send them down to our team in Fort Myers, Florida, and we would work, them, work with them and get them back to the ball club as quickly as we could. Some were dealing with things like a hamstring strain. We were talking 10 days to 2 weeks to get them back to their ball club, and it was short. But others were dealing with things that were very long-term. Elbow surgeries, shoulder surgeries, and they had a long road to recovery. And one of the memories I will never forget is when I got a phone call from the manager of the minor league team where we did our rehabilitation, again in Fort Myers, and he told me that one of our athletes needed medical attention right away. And it was about 1 to 2 in the morning. You know that something is wrong when you get that call. You see, one of our pitchers was recovering from surgery, from elbow surgery. And things weren't progressing as fast as he had wanted to in the healing process. His arm strength wasn't coming back. And the velocity of his pitches were nowhere near what they were before. The extension on his elbow wasn't coming back to the way that he wanted it to. And he was even starting to have pain in the surgery site where the scar was. Which again, is not a good sign. And unfortunately, the way that this young man chose to cope with his stress was to go to the hotel bar. And by the time I got there, he was almost unresponsive. He couldn't respond to anything that I was saying to him. He couldn't even get off the ground. He was laying flat on the ground. And in talking to him after this ordeal, one of the reasons why he was struggling so much was because he couldn't do what he felt like he was meant to do, was to be a professional baseball pitcher. He had an identity, and that identity was taken away by his injury, and he was clearly struggling. He didn't want to sit on the sidelines and watch the games anymore. He wanted to be in the game. That's where all professional athletes want to be. They're not satisfied with just making the team like a high school player might be. They want to be in the mix. In Acts chapter 9, starting in the second part of verse 19, it says this. And we'll come back to explain why this makes sense in a minute. It says, For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately, the key word being immediately, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his, on this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. You see, after his experience on the road to Damascus and the healing that Saul experienced in his life, Saul was not happy just to sit on the sidelines. He wasn't just happy to make the team. He stepped into the battle immediately. Saul was given a new identity, and he started walking the path of that new identity immediately. Luke writes in verse 20 that he immediately proclaimed Jesus in his synagogues. And the people who heard Saul speak were amazed at the change in his life, the change in his heart. I just want to say this morning, as followers of Jesus today, we are called to do the exact same thing. We have been saved not to sit on the sidelines and just be happy to be on the team. 
but we have been saved to step into the battle armed with a message of truth, armed with a message of hope. We have been saved to spread the gospel message and to love others. Saul didn't waste any time, and neither should we. So I ask you to consider this morning, are you in the battle? Or do you feel like you're sitting on the sidelines, just happy to be here? Now is definitely not the time for inaction. We have a mission to go and make disciples of all nations. And I'm praying that you will take that mission seriously. Before we close our message this morning, I'd like to read one more portion. We'll go back to verse 23. Read verses 23 and 24. It says, When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through the opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And Saul's conversion and work in sharing about Jesus in public gives us a glimpse into how this world feels about people who publicly associate themselves with Jesus. I want you to think about it. At the beginning of Acts chapter 9, Saul is going to be received into Damascus with open arms. That the, the, the local authorities are going to provide whatever assistance Saul needs to carry out his mission of arresting men and women, binding them, and bringing back to Jerusalem for trial. But a very different Saul shows up in Damascus than the one that they were expecting. One who is not only aligned with, but preaching about the risen Jesus at the synagogues. Saul is no longer welcomed by the Jews in Damascus. Instead, there's a plot to take his life. So this portion of the passage serves as a reminder that this world is hostile to those who openly align themselves with Jesus. This world is hostile to those who seek to stand for the truth of the word of God. The major shift in the response to Saul in Damascus reminds us yet again of what Jesus said in John 16, verse 33. He said, in this world you will have tribulation. If you have the NIV, it says, in this world you will have trouble. But then he follows it up by saying, take heart that I have overcome the world. And numerous times we see Saul and then as Paul standing for Jesus in public without fear of the consequences. How are we standing for Jesus publicly today? Are we more concerned about the response that we're going to get from others? Or are we concerned about our obedience to Christ? Are we thinking about how we're going to present ourselves to the world on social media? Or about how we can share the gospel message with others effectively. But the conversion of Saul is an amazing event in history that has the opportunity to teach us so much. The first, again, as I closed last week, that there is no one in this world that is beyond saving. There is no one that has walked too far away that God cannot change their heart. You need to remember that as members of the body of Christ, all of us play an important role in loving and encouraging one another. And finally, we have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, not to sit on the sidelines and just be happy to be here, but to step into the spiritual battle and to make disciples. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much again for the changing of the heart of Saul. 
We thank you so much for the way that you turned his life around in, in only the way that you can. So Lord, we ask that this passage would remind us yet again that there is no one that is too far from you. There is no one that is beyond your reach. That you have the power to change even the hardest hearts. And Saul is the perfect example of that. Lord, we ask that you would help us to not have the attitude that someone has walked too far away. Continue to give us a heart of patience, a heart of compassion, a heart of love. Lord, help us to recognize that we play an important role as the body of Christ to encourage one another. To, to, to love one another. And Lord, I pray for all of us that you would give us a passion, a desire in our hearts to recognize that we have not been saved by the blood of Jesus to sit on the sidelines and watch. But there is a spiritual battle that is going around us for the souls of people. And Lord, you have called us to step into that battle. You have given us the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to take that mission very seriously. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.